enjoy. This is what Brooklyn sounds like. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. How you guys doing? I give a shit. You know what? I had a couple of weeks off and I have, uh, I'm feeling very enthusiastic about being, being back here today, especially, uh, I've got this amazing guest, Liam McNeeny, who I haven't seen in ages and we're going to get to him in a minute. So, uh, it's great to, uh, be in the studio with him live. Uh, before I get started, I want to remind you that you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn in case, in case you forgot. Did you forget? You didn't forget. You knew that. You know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, okay? Give us money. Will you fucking give us money already? You're not giving us very much. I can tell you that because I, I would know. I would know. They would be like, Lisa, your, your listeners are really breaking it in. Thank you. And I, I never hear that. So, um, I would love some, support from you guys okay go to radiofreebrooklyn.org and check us out you know we've got great programming so many great shows and uh you know there is a big donate button and don't hold back that's all i can say and i tell you lisa was gonna book justin bieber for this week uh it's gonna be his first public appearance since he got sick yeah and then uh they were like he's got to have this for the green room she said not a problem they said uh, he's got to have this level of security. She said okay. They said he's got to have this kind of car service. She said not in the budget. So they canceled and got me instead. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? To tell you the truth, Liam, I'm a lot more comfortable with you. This will be a lot more fun for me than it would be with with Justin. Although I do have two T-shirts that I love wearing uh, with his face on it. But I would be. It would be so much fucking pressure. I wouldn't be able to handle that. Are you kidding? Anyway, before we get started, I also want to give this huge shout out to Brian's Bikes because Brian's Bikes at 240 Main Street, Cornwall, New York. That's 240 Main Street, Cornwall, New York. Brian, B-R-Y-A-N's Bikes because um, I was in Cornwall. I needed help with my bike. And Frank at Brian's Bikes they, there's one bike place there, and they were the nicest, most generous, most bestest, bikest people I've ever met, and they would not let me give them a penny. So I do totally, this is, I, I said I would give them a shout out, but I mean, I genuinely, if you have any kind of bike needs, bike <clears throat> fixing, buying a bike, go to Brian's Bikes. In Cornwall, Connecticut, Lisa, I can't say enough good things about them. I think I, I think I can solve your money problems. Stop doing free ads for businesses. <laughs> but you know, but like that. Send them a muffin basket. Yes, yeah, send them a muffin basket. You don't need to yeah. do an ad for Ryan's bikes. Yeah, I'm sure send, they're great. Yeah, send them with like a twenty, like a fifty dollar, uh, um, a muffin basket instead of yeah, no. If you guys give me money, I won't even, I will, I wouldn't spend it like that. You think like I'm going to get money if I'm giving out muffin baskets to people that help me with help a retarded bike rider like myself. I don't. Well, I, I would say, uh, you won't make money giving out muffin baskets, but you won't make money just doing free ads on the radio. No, no, no. But I, people, I got free help. I got free help. I get more. People help me. They'll be like, Lisa, she, she, she. Send a thank you note. You don't have to, oh, whatever. 
Yeah. Welcome, I, no, well, I, I, you know what? I'm glad I did this because I, I gave back to Brian and now, now I can ride my bike and not have to, you know, but welcome back to theocracy to you, now with Liam McEnany. Back to you, Liam. Liam's yeah. deflecting already. I can tell because I'm about to do his bio. I'm going to say like all these really great things about him. If I keep making jokes, we'll waste an hour and get right. out of here. Is that going to make you uncomfortable? How do you how how do you how are you going to feel when I start saying like all these great things about you, Liam? All your accomplishments. Un- are you going to feel proud? Are you going to be like, yeah? I'll be very me. uncomfortable, but it's okay. I can. I'm getting through. I'm learning. Listen, I I part of this journey that we're going to talk about today is learning that like. To acknowledge when I've done something well and to say, like, actually, I am good at this thing and I do deserve nice things. There you go. There you go. We already see that. Dr. Lisa already made some good progress reminding Liam. How, um, so, uh, Liam, first of all, guys, I've known Liam for at least 10 years. I didn't want to think 20. about 20 because I'm OK. 20 years. And uh, Liam was one of the first people I met when I started performing. He's an incredible performer. He's an incredible host. He ran one of the best shows in Manhattan for Tell Your Friends for how long? Uh, I ran that for, well, I ran it in the Lower East Side for about eight years. And Mm -hmm. then kind of I was doing a show for free. And then I realized that I was doing a show for free and not making money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) Well, that's the thing was, and I'd been running these big benefits to raise money for you know, like Doctors Without Borders after the big Haiti earthquake yeah. disaster. N- name off the top, like five to six top comedians. I mean, Liam had every famous guy on your show. Go I mean, ahead. that's John Oliver, John um, Oliver, Lewis Black. But the thing was, I kind of realized it was like, oh, I'm raising all this money for other people. I should raise money to pay my rent because I was struggling like hell. So I did a concert film and then I did a, like a quarterly show at the Bell House that's what it was. Which was a big, yeah. ro- it is a big rock venue in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. I'm going there tonight. I'm going to see, uh, what's that guy that imitates Trump on Saturday Night Live? Anthony Emaniac? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great. Yeah, I can't wait. Have you seen him? Uh, I know him. Oh, you know I, him personally? I have not seen him live do the Trump thing. I watched yeah. his show. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's he was great. very funny. Yeah, I'm that. psyched about it. Does he still do the Trump? I don't know. I'll okay. find out. We'll find out. But I'm going to the Bell House tonight. I love the Bell House. Bell House is great. One My of the favorite best, place. Best big venue. I'd still rather see comedy at Union Hall, but it's much smaller. I, I will tell you, it is my number one favorite place to perform. Anywhere. Where? Union the Hall? Bell, or- the Bell House. Bell House. I, yeah. nev- I never have a great set at Union Hall, but just when the Bell House is full, nothing better. Like, yeah, I could see that. I perform in like big 6,000 seat theaters and like that's too big. And, you know, I, well... I, I know could you, see I know you that from a performer's. This, I could see that from a performer's point of view. I'd rather perform at the Bell House, maybe, but for an audience, you get to see somebody. People, the, is, the 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 performer is very vulnerable at Union Hall. Very vulnerable. They are. It's very intimate. The thing is, like with a thousand or more, the problem becomes. Uh, and the thing is, it's, I can see why it's very addictive to like big name comedians because uh, just. There's no greater feeling when you're killing in front of, you know, 2,500 yeah, 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 2, yeah. people. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I, by the way, I haven't done that, that kind of show in a very long time. But you, like, really kind of have to focus on getting one group laughing. And once the group starts laughing, everybody else starts laughing. But it's just like, fucking, if they're not completely warmed up, it's like pulling teeth oh, to get really? them going. And just, like, you really have to put plant your feet and get in the groove. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I, uh, back to you, Liam. Yeah. Back to you. So anyway, Liam did this big, famous, fancy show. Uh, and uh, Well, that- actually, and I will say, and this is part of my journey again, was for a long time I kept it deliberately not big or fancy. Like to me it was more interesting to do a show in a basement that was physically uncomfortable for the audience and the performers because what happened was we would get these amazing performances out of people because it was extremely intimate and the audience was sometimes literally sitting at your feet. Yeah. And you had to really kind of change it up and kind of be more honest. Right. And the stakes, the stakes, I mean, it's not even the stakes. It's kind there of were like no stakes, there were no stakes. Which was great. And like you couldn't, you could not win. It'd be really hard not to win as a performer. And like the audience... It was like there was such a great vibe in the room, and it's it's a very rare uh, sort of like uh, pot pot of things to mix together to come out that well. Right. You know, you can't just make that happen. It was a very good synergy of like different of everything. Uh, but then it seems like the way I remember it, and you tell me, Liam, um, like soon after you did like y- your film was at your tell your friends documentary was at South by Southwest and stuff like that. And it seems like soon after that you moved to LA. Is that right? I would say a few. So that was so South by, and that whole festival run was 2011 through 2012. Uh, in the middle of that, I also got sober, right? So mm-hmm. like suddenly I had a whole different set of priorities. And one of them was, you know, the part of the whole s- so I'm in a program mm-hmm. of recovery mm-hmm. and it's a program of action. Mm-hmm. And part of that is to just go through your life and kind of make decisions and take actions and kind of look at your life and look at who you are and the way you've behaved in the past and apologize to people. And the more I did that, the more I realized that, you know, because I had started really drinking heavily at 14 mm. and started doing stand up at 19, mm. I was not like a complete person. And so I took mm. a step back from the stand-up, and then, of course, once you take a step back, you're out. <laughs> like, well, so you, luckily there were some bookers who would book me. There's a comedy club that like booked me regularly. Are you talking about L.A. or New York? New York. I'm still in New York. Uh, okay. And uh, and then I flew across country to do an audition for Last Comic Standing Ooh. in February of 2015 or 2014, and kind of. I was in L.A. all of a sudden at, uh, you know, in, um, you know, uh, Universal, the Universal lot. And I was like, God, it's 82 degrees in February. What am I doing in New York? <laughs> exactly. And the next year I was like, uh, and then also just kind of like stand up kind of dried up for me a little bit and kind of people stopped talking to me. It was very, very interesting. What, what was not drinking and being in that environment different? No, uh, luckily, luckily the guy who got me sober and helped me stay sober is a performer. Mm-hmm. And so he really very, very quickly helped me navigate that whole, mm. like the, the thing where you're hanging out in bars all the time, but right. also not drinking. So you could do that. That's great. That's great. The only time it was an issue was, uh, actually in Austin for South by, and I was very newly sober at the time. And, um, and this waitress started making fun of me for not ha- not drinking a beer and then or wanting to order a beer but then but then that never happened again. That's weird. Like I think she was trying to be the lighthearted waitress who, you know, like just 
was like, ah, eh, we're all having a good, you know, like you see in fucking Coyote Ugly. Yeah, yeah, she, uh, that sounds really naive. That's all. That just sounds, it was. For, for a bar, for somebody working with, serving alcohol, that just sounds like a very naive. I mean, now, uh, I, in hindsight, I know I would just say, hey, I'm, I'm in this program, and that completely shuts it down, and they just apologize a million times. So, um, anyway, uh, so, what mode so you were out there you liked la it's warm you said i'm moving or how did it go down that was part of it uh-huh. and then part of it was stand-up had come to a standstill here mm-hmm. part of it was i wanted to be a writer and i kind of was like you know i kind of took a very honest look at where i was in my career and what was happening and what was not happening because basically i made the tell your friends film i produced it and, and starred in it and it was based on the show that we were talking about. And it had a lot of great performers who were friends of mine, like Reggie Watts, Kurt Braunohler, and Kristen Schaal, Christian Finnegan. And then we did had interviews with like Jim Gaffigan, Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, uh, you know, Hannibal Burris, uh, who was not famous when we when I was like, Hey, let's do an interview. Just, yeah. Just wanted to do an interview with him. You know, I know. Because I was just I such a fan. Still am. Yeah, yeah, fan yeah. Of, a big fan of Hannibal, right? Yeah, so, I, rem- I remember he wasn't always famous, too. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Kumail was another one. Kumail yeah. Johnny. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, Kumail. fuck it. Kumail's good. Yeah. We need to have less. We need to have not just white men, so why not get Kumail, who's fucking funny as shit. Yeah. Um, a so, nice guy, too. I mean. Yeah, so... Uh, so that was 2010 and 2011. We did the festival tour in 2011. And then the movie just kind of came at the wrong time. Like, just because uh, it was a year before Netflix started oh. doing their original programming. Mm. Uh, so they weren't acquiring it. There was no streaming services yet. Mm. But also, Comedy Central had the year before just said only original programming now no outside acquisition oh. hbo kind of wasn't in the stand-up game at the time unless you were like chris rock so you were so you couldn't you were hoping that like the goal would have been to get a uh distributor the goal would have been to get it on tv and make money yeah that's that's the only goal i had the fact that we got in all these big crazy film festivals was like right so you're weird saying, it you're, was it was the opposite of what i wanted right that was like big artistic fulfillment no money and i had done this strictly as a capitalist enterprise out mm. of spite mm. and what i realized now is because it was a spite exercise uh there was some really bad energy attached to it mm, interesting and i can't explain it any better than that but it's just like you can't really be 100 percent successful if you're like coming at it for coming at your art from an angry place that's so that's so interesting like what what when you say spite what were you at do you know what you were angry about hell yeah what i wasn't getting booked for tv anymore oh um, you had been i mean tv is wow well so, you, you know what's, yeah. what's crazy is like so then after we shot the concert then i got booked for a showtime special with like a bunch of other comics so it was like but i just didn't have patience with that anymore like uh you know comedy central had just passed on me a bunch of times and i just had gotten the hint that they were not for whatever reason they weren't interested in my stand-up and instead of just rolling with it which is what you do when you're a professional who's been in the business a long time i took it really really personally Uh. and i like it really hurt my feelings a lot and i kind of had a spiral in fact 
Was it mostly the Comedy Central thing or was it like a combination of things or? I had this whole plan for my life and my plan was, I'm sorry, I'm going to sit up straight. So uh-huh. uh, my plan was basically I was going to, you know, you get uh, like a ten or $15,000 buyout for doing a half hour special for Comedy Central. Oh, okay. So I was like, okay, I'll do the half hour, which I deserve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, by the way, I, I try to not. I try to eliminate the word deserve from my professional vocabulary. But at the time, that's where my head was at. You know, I was like, I deserve this. Then I'll take that $15,000 and I'll move to Berlin for two years. Because I knew I could work like in Europe. make I could make money as a stand-up in Europe. Uh, So I had this whole plan where I was like, I'll have a nest egg. I'll move to Berlin. It didn't happen. It didn't occur to me to just get like some horrible, like three shitty jobs and save for a year and go. Um, cause it wasn't my plan. I had this whole plan where I was the star, but, but uh, huh. and, uh, <clears throat> none of that happened. And instead of rolling with it and changing course, I got really angry. I quit comedy for a week mm-hmm. and then I realized nobody cared. Nobody noticed. Nobody was calling me to find out where I was or like, when am I going to show up for my comedy shift? Mm-hmm. Um, so then I, then I unquit comedy and decided to, and the thing is, this guy, uh, Victor Vernado, who's a funny guy. Yeah, he's awesome. He had directed and produced a special that Comedy Central had acquired the year before. So it's just like, well, let's do that. Um, and I hired Victor to direct it and mm-hmm. produce on it. And I said, but I wanted, I don't want it to just be special. I want it to be like, feel like the last waltz and kind of mm-hmm. the goal will be to encapsulate the feel of, of this scene. And that's why we had interviews because... Like the, the last waltz between acts, it was all interviews with these people who had defined uh, rock and roll up to that point. The last waltz was a concert so, film. So I want to go back to. Um, I just want to explain to your okay, audience okay, in case sorry. anyone doesn't know. Go ahead. It's a concert film. The the band had decided to retire, and they threw a big show for themselves at the Winterland in uh, San Francisco on Thanksgiving. And everybody was there. It was like Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, uh, Dr. John. It was, and they made, Martin Scorsese directed this big, amazing concert film around it. Yes. Very, very, very famous film. And um, that was the model for what you were trying to do. You wanted to have, you had all these people and you wanted to sort of like make it into a celebration of them. I was like, I don't, I couldn't afford like to hire Jim Gaffigan to perform. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't afford to hire people to f- like Mark Marin. Fl- I couldn't fly Mark Marin across the country or whatever. Right. I was like, we could still interview these guys. Yeah. And, and have them talk about what alt comedy was, you know? Did people appreciate the room that you made for comedy? Did you feel appreciated? Sure. I mean, you know, like. Um, Did you? He's making a face like he didn't. Did you? Or do you? Does anyone ever feel Well, you just called me out. Uh <laughs> Is that okay? No, it's all right. Listen, it, the thing is, I don't blame you. I mean, here's here's the thing: comedians are never grateful. I'm 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 I forget to be grateful a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and so nobody's ever like, oh, oh okay. This or part. or the thing is, they'll tell me they're grateful, and they'll say, oh, thank you so much. When I moved to New York, you really helped me out, and then they have a TV show that they don't hire me for, and I'm like, uh-huh. all right. But I had a friend explain to me, and because I was really stewing still in this resentment. Right. And then I had a friend explain to me this summer. And this is like, it's a constant ongoing process. Right. And what my friend explained to me, and it really, really helped, was if you do someone a favor and you don't set out your expectation 
before you do a favor that like, I'm going to do this for you and you're going to do this for me, then it's unfair of you to get mad at them when they don't live up to this imaginary, the, this, the end of this imaginary deal that only you had made for yourself. Well, you know, that's exactly um, echoing what I was thinking, what I was thinking, which is I was wondering where, where in your childhood, maybe your childhood or where, where you had an expectation that people would look out for you. Did your family, did you get that in your family? Well, I mean, my family's always looked out for me, right? But the thing is, I started comedy when I was 19. You know, I was uh, a child. So and you, I was doing improv in two improv groups at age 18. Mm-hmm. So, like, I had, so I had basically entered comedy. At, and I, and I, so when I was 20, I got hired to do a tour. This is why I dropped out of college was, uh, I was, I was in my second semester of college and I was doing open mics at night. And then I just got hired to do this tour. Uh, and I was like, you know, when you're 20 years old, what kind of tour, like a college tour? Or it was, it was a college was it with other comedians and stuff. Or? It was, it was called you laugh, you lose the college comedy game show tour. Oh, wow. That sounds like so much. Was that amazing? It was awful, but I bombed every night. Cause here I was this 20 year old open micer with like two minutes of material, right? Or like two minutes of usable material suddenly on the road doing 15 minutes a night. And wow. You sink or swim, and I sank, and I got fired eventually. But, you know, here's the thing is when you're 20 years old and someone says, hey, do you want to drop out of college and live your dream of being a professional on the road? Like, why the fuck would I say no to that? Yeah, exactly. I have no regrets for that. No. Did you have fun on the tour? Was it eye-opening? It was a blast. Were there drugs and alcohol and girls, shit like that? It was the opposite. I was with a guy who... um, I won't say his name, but I will say he did write a memoir and have an autobiographical film made about him starring Jonathan Silverman as him. (laughs) So it's not the hugest secret, but like he had been a real trash head when he was younger Uh, and he had eventually gotten like was tripping on acid and burned his grandparents house down. hmm. So he wasn't doing drugs or partying. And then the other guy was my friend, John Viner, who is a real, uh, you know, a really funny guy. Now he, I mean, he was an executive producer on Family Guy. and he, mm-hmm. I've heard of him. He, yeah. launched, he helped launch the Cleveland show, and he's like this big TV writer. Very, very, very funny comic. And so he's very straight-laced, kind of buttoned-down uh, guy. Well, that's so, good. I mean, because, you know, you don't want to go off the rails at that age. But No, it, I went off the rails when we came back. Yeah, no, much better. When I was much, off tour. Yeah, yeah. No, but, you know. And then, uh, and then when I was fired, they hired Brody Stevens to go on the oh, tour instead. Wow, so, yeah, you're kidding. So, wow. So it, it was, I mean, it was, it, you know, it was what it was, but it was, uh, yeah. but again, no regrets. So when you were 20, did you have like this feeling like, I mean, like. The other thing too, like and you, I'll just say this. Yeah, go ahead. Is I was in college and I was taking it seriously. Right. So I wasn't drinking or partying. Actually, it was like, it was a year and a half, it was well, yeah, I had about a year and a half to two year break from drinking, mm. which I understand happens. It's just kind of like, uh, and I focus those energies into other unproductive things like doing stand up all night and then hanging out until three in the morning and going to strip clubs and then mm. going to class at nine in the morning mm. and wondering why I'm like going crazy and then yeah. doing call center work on the weekends. That sounds like a pretty good uh, adoles- and, late adolescence. Or- and then And then at this call center job, 
I was killing it because it was just doing market research. Oh, it yeah, wasn't like selling. And this woman said to me, who was a supervisor, she was like, you know, you keep, you keep going at this rate, you're going to be sitting in my chair pretty soon. And then I quit because I was like, why the fuck would I want to be a supervisor at a call center? I don't even like the job I have now. Wow. Wow. That sounds, I'm going to say this, that sounds self-destructive. Uh, well, I would say a self-destructive impulse. It, it might have been, honestly, it would have been worse if I was like, fuck yeah, I'm advancing at the call center. I'm going to be supervising evenings and weekends. Well, let's, my dream come true, Lisa. Okay. But how about this as a sensible, as a sensible <clears throat> way to look at it? Oh, I'm doing well here. Uh-huh. That's good. I'm capable of doing well in this situation. This is a reasonable way to make money. I uh-huh. definitely don't want to line up. I definitely don't want to ever sit in that chair, but I'm going to just keep doing this. But uh, it wasn't a reasonable way to make money. It was like it was minimum really wage work for getting sworn at on the phone. All oh, day uh, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I could. I don't think I would do well at a job like that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to. No, I think I tried that. But um, so is your family supportive of you? Extremely. My uh-huh. my my uh, well, my dad's passed, but he was very oh, proud sorry. of me. Thank you. And my mom is still very proud of me, and my sister's proud of me. So, you know, it's like um, the that the flip side of that is they get very concerned when it does when it's not going well. Uh huh. But luckily, I don't know, man. Like moving to LA just seemed to be the right move. Like it just seemed to be like things kind of turned. Even things that were not related to moving to LA kind of turned around you know like i i have this producing gig and i started making more money at it just unrelated to living in la but also just i moved to la and suddenly i started making more money at that um you know it was 2015 so my favorite president got elected Mm -hmm. so that was (laughs) Mm. no that was actually crazy that was my that was my i was one month into living in los angeles and that election happened and i it was it was just like i had so many positive uh fucking feelings and it just was like everything is right everything's a green light and then trump got elected and it felt like every like the world went crazy overnight i know no i mean now that it, we're still we're still dealing with the fallout hopefully the fallout not that i hope it's over i hope i hope yeah uh, but, but anyway like i moved to la and suddenly i had a uh fixed my credit score i got credit cards I got a driver's license. Oh, great! You know, which was um, really funny because they didn't make me take a road test; they just kind of issued me a license. Really? Yeah. I've never heard of that. I went to the Hollywood DMV. The guy spent a literal hour as he was doing my paperwork, just telling me his entire life story. Um, and I mean everything, like the drugs, the hookers, everything. Uh, and then, at, and then at the end, he just kind of sent me off to get my. Ro- at one point, he was like. So uh, you know how to drive, right? And I was like, well, I'm, I've taken lessons. And he's like, but you've had a you had a license in New York. And I was like, I had a learner's permit. And he's like, okay. And then uh, and then after I took the written test, I said, when do I take the road test? The one was like, I no road test. This is your temporary driver's license. Your driver's license will be in the mail. It was in the mail in two days. Shout out to anyone who needs a license. Go to L.A. and get one. That's, and be over 40. That helps Be over too. 40. Yeah, that probably does help. So, um, so your move to LA, so you seem, it seems like it's had a pretty profound, profound effect on you or pretty notable. Like what, so what, what do you, 
what's happened or like what's what what's changed or well i went to la with the expectation that uh it might be easy for me to get like a just an entry-level writing job or something that never materialized before i'd moved there i kind of when i lived here here's the thing is i lived in the same apartment my whole life and i lived i had this really cheap rent in a rent-controlled apartment Mm mm-hmm and it's like uh, what they call the golden handcuffs because also yeah. it was in the middle of Queens where nobody I knew lived at the time. Yeah. Now I know a shit ton of and people it, that moved there. And in, um, in um, Rigo Park, right? Yeah. Rigo Park. So mm-hmm. now I know a ton of people that yeah. live out there because like, yeah. they all caught on to like it's the cheapest neighborhood near yeah. a subway. Good neighborhood. Yeah. A great neighborhood. So, um, in fact, I started seeing people just kind of wandering around and I knew they would see me. And they'd be like, all right, well, this is, there must be like hip people in the neighborhood. If this guy is walking around with his, you know, at the time I had like the chunky black glasses. Yeah, yeah. Liam the gentrifier. Liam the hipster. (laughs) Meanwhile, I've lived there for my whole life. Yeah, right? But the downside of that is you get comfortable. You don't go outside. I have a, I have a mug because I love this, I love this phrase and I found it on a mug in a thrift shop for a dollar. And I said, this mug was sent to me. What, what does it say? It says, uh, life begins where your comfort zone ends. Ooh, I like that. And I like that. So you think like the, the moving to L.A. kind of like stirred the pot, like got things moved. Oh, my God. Made you like yeah. change your perspective. Did it teach you like how to, you had to do more stuff for yourself maybe or figure more things out? Well, the first thing that happened was um, it was really hard to find an apartment within my price range. Really difficult. I can understand that. And especially because I didn't have a car or a license when I moved there. Yeah. So I had to live near the subway. Right. Um, and I'll tell you what, I couldn't find it, couldn't find And also I wasn't in L.A., so I had to do it all via the Internet. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. Two weeks before I was moving, um, or three weeks before, uh, I just gave it over. And I just gave up and I said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to trust. And then the next morning, uh, I just put everything, price range, everything I wanted into a, a Google search string, including mm-hmm. the neighborhood. And this building, the Gershwin Apartments, just popped up. And what's funny is in the, so in the six years since I moved there, the apartments like doubled in rent because what? it's such a desirable neighborhood. Uh, but at the time I got a really good deal, but I was also suddenly living in a 240 square foot apartment, uh, going from living wow. alone in a two bedroom apartment. that was like, you know, 1500 square feet with a sunken living room. And, oh my God. And a really? kitchen. Yeah. So it was like amazing. And then suddenly, but also it was really run down because my landlord wanted me out, right, right, out right. in Z so he could make more right, money. Right, right. So he never did repairs unless right. absolutely necessary. So it was right. also like a hovel. Right, I've been there. I've been there on that in a basement apartment. Just to be bedrooms. clear, she's not yeah. been in my apartment. No, I haven't. Doctor Lisa and I never been. hooked up. We never no, hooked we up. No, we didn't. We didn't. It's a, uh, when the yeah. first time I met you, you were handing out flyers. You handed me a flyer, and I was like hitting on you. I don't think you've even noticed because I, I was so not. I was such a baby at no, the time. No, no, I also like I also just don't. But also, you were in a relationship, so then your boyfriend or whatever walked up, and I was like. Okay, well, then I'll leave it alone. Oh, I would never. Was I handing you a Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit Flyer? Yeah. Were you on, you were on my show on, at, uh, you know, Ochi's Lounge. Yeah. But this was long before that. It was like I I ran, like, I think we had met once at Collective and we were. Oh, yeah, that's. I remember we were standing on Ludlow and and Rivington. 
Yeah. And I was like, oh, this woman's talking to me. And then I was like, oh, let me. And then you were just not at all. I don't think you even noticed. Oh, I don't know. You know, I was in advertising and I thought everybody at the collective, I that they were all too, way too. It was a very, I was glad to be there. But it was an intimidating situation. These people are so cool and underground. Right. But and, meanwhile, they weren't. They no, were just, they uh, were, you know what? They were just a mess. They were a lot of things. They were all of it. <laughs> they were all of it. And now those are all my close friends. Yeah, really. no, it's um, yeah, it's funny. Um, so I'm when I'm trying to figure. No so, offense to your friends, but a lot of them were a fucking mess. Well, including myself, by the way. So I'm you not, feel you feel like you do seem well. So it seems like you were. So what do you think? Here's what I was going to say before. Uh, uh, Liam, can I be really blunt with you and say that um, you I'm, haven't started complimenting me? No, I you enjoy. To. I enjoy. I'm enjoying this immensely, <laughs> but I also have to say that you're a very active wanderer as an as an interviewee. Oh yeah, it, you know it, what I mean. Like you, you have great stories, but I mean, I am feeling like um, you know, I. Uh, I had to take my control back because I'm I'm worried that you won't respect me if I'm not in control. That's my mother talking. Okay. That's my mom there. Elisa, you can't do this. Of course right. she's not going to take it seriously. No, no, what? I do take it seriously. No, I, don't take it seriously. I'm very good at deflecting, you know as you said else? before. I so. forgot to say, I forgot to tell you that I interrupt people a lot to keep the story moving. I do do that. Do whatever you want. I'm, I know. I know. No, I know. I know. I'm just, I'm just, you know... We're making a connection here. Okay, Lisa, I'm yes. going to step back and I'm going to let you ask your next no, question. No, no, you don't have to. You don't no, no, have I to. I want to hear you your next question. No. Nope. <laughs> That's part of being no, a gentleman you know, is respecting no. a woman. Now and you're her... mad. I no, think I'm you're not angry. mad. No, 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 Lisa. I think you're angry Actually, it's now. the opposite. You know what it is? What? You, you, you uh, stated a boundary and a preference, and now I'm listening to your boundary and preference and respecting them. Okay, but you don't. That doesn't mean that I want you to go like, oh, I don't want to play. I'm That's playing. I'm, I'm letting you. No, now I think you don't want to play anymore. See, now you're giving over control of the interview to me because uh, I've 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 said yes. You're in control, and you feel <laughs> I guilty. I can't handle it, Lisa. You feel too guilty. Is no, the problem? No, you no, do. No, no, I'm afraid you're you're secretly angry at me. I'm not. Yeah, like I told. Okay, anyway, Lisa, I drove up. I drove into Bushwick, which I would never do. And I found a parking spot right in front of the studio. How could I be angry about anything? No, no, no. Of course you're it's, not it's angry. It's a Bushwick of miracle. Of course you're not. I mean, I mean, in the big picture. Is you're it not Christmas? Did an angel about... touch me? No. So anyway, here's the thing, guys. This is what I was. This is what I was going to say. <laughs> this is what I was going to say. Shut up, Liam. Like I just told you, you would not have had this problem if Bieber had showed up. That's all I can say. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have. Well, he probably doesn't listen to any of the questions anyway. He just has his own. Uh, Anyway, so the thing I was trying to tell you guys, this is what I said to Liam that we were going to talk about, is that Liam, to me, has some uh, very strong creative drive. And it seems to come out in many ways. Like, it started out in comedy, and now he seems to be moving to writing. Because he's recently, here's a comp, this isn't compliments, this is just your resume of facts, of achievements. So this is like very recent, right? His, well, his writing credits, um, blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> Comedy Central, Weekend Update, Hannibal Buress, the Comedy Central roast of Justin Bieber. That's, there you go. And 
written I, on a lot of magazines. But here's the thing. This I wrote is, for a Hannibal set for that, by the way. I didn't write for the whole roast. Well, that's still. that's Hannibal said your words. That's pretty big. But anyway, this is his recent thing, is that Liam McNeeny is a 2019 Academy Nick Holy. He, two of his screenplays placed, he's writing screenplays and winning contests, folks. This placing is what I wanted to Placing. So uh, just to placing. explain. So he's gone from organizing this really well-known, high-profile, you know, DIY, high-profile comedy show that to, uh, you know, being, being part of this whole scene getting that movie done South by Southwest moves to LA. And then the next thing I know, he's now like a big screenwriter. He went back, you went back to school. Tell them about that. You went back to school. Well, you, I'm going to take it all the way back for a second. And, but how are your parents? Like your parents. Must okay. Have, now you're where's asking, the creative Lisa, you're asking four, four different questions. Where's the creative. Okay. Got, okay. So uh, the creative drive, I'm going to take it all the way back for a second, okay. which is when I started doing stand-up, there weren't as many stand-ups in New York. Uh-huh. And also I had a natural gift for making people laugh. Right. Uh, and for coming up with stuff on the fly. So I, as a result, I was very lazy. Ah. Uh. And because I was likable and young and had five minutes of material, I was able to get on TV relatively quickly. Um, but it wasn't until I had another... I, I spent a year and a half, so I did premium blend on Comedy Central, and then I made all the wrong moves, and I was, started drinking pretty heavily, and then I started working at a call, another call center for a year and a half, and kind of, I took, I, I had a trip, I took a trip to, to England for a couple of weeks, and I was staying in a shitty youth hostel, and I had a real moment of clarity where I was like, the reason why my life is bad and some of my peers' lives are better is because they work really, really hard at this, and I don't. Mm. So then I started writing jokes, and I started discovering I liked writing jokes. And then it became, I was like this kind of angry drunk, and I got on Best Week Ever because I suddenly had this discipline to write jokes, and I would show up for the taping every week with a 1,000 jokes, and the producers really liked that. And so then I was able to spend all day writing jokes. So then I got sober, and suddenly that wasn't fulfilling to me anymore because my life was opening up in a million different directions. And I was feeling all these feelings I had not felt for a long time. And I was kind of like, my life was good in a way that even though it was lousy, like financially and in other ways, my life was great. Like yeah. I'd never been so happy. Yeah. I never felt happy mm. and I'd never been like, never felt bon homie or, you know, like, mm -hmm. or a part of the world before. So then uh, that sitting down and writing for three or four hours every day suddenly didn't do that for me anymore. Mm. So then, the, so because I realized like that was part of a way like that I could feel complete because also for me, I love writing jokes because it's like the way other people do crosswords where it just mm -hmm. engages that part of my brain. Cause mm -hmm. for me, it's like just solving a puzzle. Like mm -hmm. how can I go from this setup to making people laugh? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also realized, I took a good look at stand-up, and I said, you know, unless you are at the very top, you're just not going to make enough money to retire on. It's not really a full-time gig. It's kind of a shitty life otherwise. Yeah. And I'm, I had to very honestly say, I will always be in stand-up, but I'm not going to 
be at that level. I'm never going to be at like the level where like a Jim Gaffigan mm-hmm. or a John Mulaney or like a Mike Birbiglia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really had to take a step back. And also like I was getting no, like I said, no support from the industry really uh, TV wise, which is how you get, build a following. Um, and I didn't have the focus really to like do a podcast. I had a good podcast that had a lot of listeners and I just didn't have yeah. the focus to do it every week because my life was a mess. Um, so, but then, so I moved to LA and I was able to suddenly sit down and focus on the screenplay thing. And so I wrote a screenplay called, uh, the prophet Moses NYPD because I, I said, you know what a good gig is, is writing the comedy draft of like Marvel screenplays. But someone told me, well, you have to know how to write a screenplay because they want to see a sample. And I said, well, I don't want to write a screenplay about DC Comics characters or Marvel Comics characters because you don't own them and they don't go anywhere. So I wrote one about uh, Moses as if he was like a crime fighter. I love that. It was really, really funny. And so thank you. And so just because I had a hair up my ass, I submitted it to the Academy Nickel which is the most prestigious screenwriting contest out there because mm-hmm. it's run by the Academy Awards people. Mm-hmm. And that was a quarter finalist. And that kind of made me say, okay, I think maybe I should give this a shot. Mm-hmm. And then the whole world locked down. Uh, and suddenly I had a lot of time to learn how to really write screenplays. And I wrote two more that I really, really like that did well in these contests, both of them like simultaneously. And then, uh, so that's where the creative drive comes from. It's mm. like, it's not so much something my parents did to me. It's just so much more like I have always had this feeling, Lisa, of not belonging and of being a little bit incomplete and of like, just if I could only find this one place in the world where I belonged and everybody knew me and loved me, then I would be whole and I could feel comfortable and relax. Mm-hmm. And I've, there's no, I mean, it's like you don't find cheers. Like, but didn't you feel like that when you were, you were like pretty central in that whole comedy scene in I, New York? I was, but also um, there were a lot of people who didn't like me. And a lot of that was either jealousy or my fault. Uh, mostly my fault. From you know drinking? What? Did you, yeah. Did you, did was, you get, were you, did I, you get drunk and say, say things you, bad things, mean things? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> In fact, if I owe you an apology, let's, you know, that's what you're, that's what you're trying to say. Um, but it was like, yeah, that's the thing is like, I was a real social wild card, especially at the end of my drinking career. Uh, and people don't want to be around that. People don't want to be down around. Yeah, falling I, mean, down I mean, it's certainly Mark Maron's been, I mean, he talks about, I mean, it's not uncommon, but I'm glad to hear you saying all that. I'm, you know, yeah, you didn't, no one wants to be that. No, um, no one wants to be around that. Nobody wants that in their yeah. life. Ultimately, it's like, it's a, it's okay when you're in your early twenties and fresh out of college, or in my case, not out of college. You know, and everybody around me was part. And so that's part of the problem too. Is like, all of my friends were a little bit older when I started stand up. Yeah, and they were all fresh out of college and they were all drinking that way. And then what happened was they all started to grow up, have families, have careers, have real lives, and I started to get left behind. So then my friends became younger and younger. Ah. Uh, and then, uh, there, you know, there's a point where that's sad, where, like, you're the middle-aged, you know that guy, yeah, the middle-aged yeah, guy. No, I know. I, I'm a bit, no, I know that person. I still person. am that guy in I L.A., that, by the way. Yeah, I'm that guy. I mean, I'm living Bushwick. Come on. But, no, uh, but, dude, but, but Bushwick. But I'm not I, pretending. I'm not pretending I'm the same age. I hate I to say very, it. 
What? Everybody in Bushwick's an aging hipster now. Nobody's nobody's young here. Oh, really? Anymore. I don't. You know what? I don't. I don't identify with my age group. I'm I'm okay how old I am, but I don't like right. whatever age. You know, whatever. But it's um, like you and look. I'm in comedy. I hang out with younger people. It's fine. Yeah. But also, there's a way to hang out with them that's age appropriate, and then there's a way yes. that's like yes. I'm hanging out with you because your your life is a mess because you're 25. And you're drinking the way I like to drink, and you're staying out till four in the morning, and then going to your work in the morning. No, and- you're. I agree. Like if I do an open mic or something, then I like leave after. I don't like want to hang around and like try to make friends and network. I mean, yeah. I not that I'm not friendly if somebody's friendly, but I'm not like these are. You know, these are my people. My friend Jen was visiting from out of uh, not visiting. She just moved here actually, but mm-hmm. uh, so I, I showed her around the Lower East Side and. Then we just hung out at the comedy cellar for a few hours, and we ran into Susanna. That's where we ran into Susanna uh, Perlman, who mm-hmm. uh, I don't know why I'm keeping. Shout that. out Susanna Perlman. Yeah, I don't have to. She's great. No, well, somebody might. Yeah, but uh, shout out. But it was yeah. great, and we hung out till midnight, and I got back home at like one thirty in the morning, and that was the latest I'd been out in a very long time. Wow, wow. So you brought up the school thing, which is another, and I don't want to. Feel, I don't want you to feel like I'm taking charge. I just, I'm no, just no, like, no, no, no. I'm oh, answering yeah. the rest of all of your yeah, questions. Yeah. You know where I'm going. I put it out there. Yeah. Go ahead. We no, got no, 15. Was, don't forget, we only have 15 minutes. Well, you asked a lot of questions at once. So I I'm did, answering I all did. of them. No, you, no, I, <laughs> I, yeah. So, so the other thing, by the way, I do this in every podcast interview. I uh, figured you do. I, just, I figured you do, but I just wanted to be accountable. Oh, of course. So we're, we're rounding the base, rounding home plate here. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get it all in, but, you know, that's okay. Well, so here's the thing. So uh, two years ago, as I said, my dad passed away. I was learning how to write screenplays. Um, I couldn't sell the screenplay, and I had a long talk with a friend of mine who was like, so, you know, like, if you can't sell it, you can make a, like, you know, make a trailer for it, and sometimes that helps sell it. And I was like, I don't know how to do any of that. And then at the same time, my dad passed away. And as you know, when... When you have a lot of grief like that, when you have a big blow like that, you reassess a lot of things in your life and you say, what's important? What's next? What do I want? What am I doing with my life? Where do like, what am I going to do when I'm 70? And I said, okay, you know what? Let me just try college. Like give it another shot. So I went to LACC, Los Angeles city college, a community college in East Hollywood. And they, and I tried, I started taking some film classes and LACC has some great film classes. They have some great professors. Um, and in the meantime, it was easier for me to do like the general education requirement mm-hmm. class courses because it was all from home, mm. doing everything from During Zoom. the pandemic we're talking about. Oh, right? yeah. So yeah. like roll out of bed at nine, attend a lecture, do my homework, mm-hmm. and then uh, be done at noon. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. So I, I uh, you know. I got. I graduated with honors. It's great. Uh, magna it's great. cum laude. It's fabulous. Fabulous. And did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? It was insane because I was such a bad student in high school. Like sure. the thing I really learned was how to drink bad alcohol straight from the bottle. Like mm. that was. I was very good at that. Mm. I didn't. I didn't do any work I didn't want to do, which was most of it. Mm. Uh, I did well in classes I enjoyed, which were very few. And I was a real asshole to my teachers. Ah. So I, dude, I don't ever want to look at my record. I can't imagine it's got anything good ah. in it. You, were you like the class clown troublemaker guy? Here's who I was. I had a health class where we had a really bad teacher. 
uh, and I won't say her name, but I'll always remember it. Uh, yeah. And we'll call her Mrs. Bird. Mrs. Bird. And Mrs. Bird was bad at her. And so during uh, during during our AIDS lesson, she told us AIDS came from when a, a black person had sex with a monkey in Africa. Or maybe a person had I, sex with I, a monkey I, in you Africa. You can't see me, but my face is just just expressing shock my face is expressing shock i can't so instead of going to like a teacher or the principal or or you know whatever guidance counselor i created an underground school newspaper oh i love it and made that the 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 uh the cover story and um oh i love it i I basically i basically canceled her before there was social media love that that's brilliant so i wasn't a class clown but i was definitely i had a lot of time and energy for that kind of shit well it was also very smart what about authority how did you feel did you get did you get along with your parents i got along my parents okay but they they were very much anti-authority when i was growing up so So they didn't boss you around no they did oh they they were the authority Uh, but just like being told what to do by other people like they, they didn't want any authority. Tell no, they to. no, they were no, and they, they wanted to keep you under. And they would talk down about the teachers and the oh. principals and like. So I, I basically by the time I hit high school, I had no respect for any kind of oh. authority. I used to argue with cops in the street. Oh, I very man. lucky I'm alive. You're so lucky. <laughs> um, well, also yeah. it was like the 80s and 90s where like cops weren't like the Roman conquering army yeah, in the no, streets. I know, you know, I know, I know. I mean, what they would beat your, the shit out your, of you. But what did your dad do? How did your parents make a living? My dad did phone systems for the Board of Education. Oh, wow. My mom, actually, <clears throat> she was a housewife and a, like a temp and a personal assistant at HBO, actually, for a wow. few years until I was 10. And then when I, was, then when I was 10, she went back to school and got her degree. And when I was 11, she went to law school. Oh, wow. And now she's a lawyer. So That's so impressive. It's crazy. So wow. She's wonder- very successful. Yeah. Um, so, uh... I don't want to say anymore, but it's like just take it from me. She's very successful at what she does. Yeah, uh, well, um, I I just don't want anyone that. googling my family. No, no, I I uh, so, it's impressive too. So basically, long story short, um, I started going back to school, graduated with honors, decided I wanted to continue with film school. In very, very, very long story short, I had this application in with USC. And they weren't giving me an up and down yes or no for a very long time. So July 1st, uh, actually end of June, I said, you know what, this is ridiculous. So I wrote a letter to the president of the university. Uh, I overnighted it via UPS. And then July 3rd, I got an email that I was accepted as a student at the USC Film School, which is the number one rated film school in the world, fabulous. unless you count uh, the American Film Institute. That's fabulous. So, uh, and it's, they've got a 3% acceptance rate. It's fabulous. It's crazy. And it's like, uh, I think I'm getting a lot of financial aid, so I'm getting basically a first-rate education, and I'll come out with some loans, but not really too bad. Wow. So, uh, and it's, you know, it's basically everything I wanted. Wow. And this is starting in September? Starting August 22nd. Wow, that is so exciting. It's nuts. Are uh, you like are you like are you like you how do you feel? I mean, this must be so rewarding. I feel very overwhelmed and very nervous, um but also very happy. Uh-huh. And it does feel extremely rewarding on top of all that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's sort of like I think 
you know, I was thinking, and this is what makes sense, is like you were you were after something. You were after something. Listen, whenever I've wanted something, I've gotten it. That's yeah. the thing that I always, in my life, is like I wanted that concert film to show everybody. And so I got the concert film, but I didn't show anybody. Um, you know, it's like I wanted to be a professional comedian, and I was working within a year. Like, it's just like things that are important to me, I set an intention and I go for it. And yeah. I get it. Well, what's cool about being a writer and doing screenplays is that at that level, you have control over it, you know, until you sell it and then you have to deal with other people. But like you can make whatever you want. You can do it when you want it. You have control over it. You can make it happen. You don't need a there. There's like in the process of creating, there's no um, gatekeepers. I you mean, know, you already got past a whole bunch of gatekeepers. You know, what's interesting is, and we didn't have time to talk about this, but I also was like very, I had suicidal ideation and depression when I was 10 years old. Oh, okay. And I gained a lot of weight and I, you know, like whatever. So, and the, people say to me like, well, why don't you give up Woody Allen? Right. It's like, what does that mean? Like he's a bad guy and you shouldn't watch his films or listen to his stand up or whatever. But the truth is I do. And he'll always be a hero of mine in that sense. Yeah. Because he, when I was a kid, I was like, here is this not conventionally attractive man who writes and directs his own comedies, and everybody loves him, and he dates the most beautiful women in the world. And I was like, I want that life. Mm -hmm. And I was so down on myself and had such low self-esteem that I really thought like I I would never get it. And I was like, oh, I'm just this kid from the middle of Queens and I'm this fat kid and mm -hmm. this and that. And it wasn't until I started to get really emotionally healthy and then moved to LA and physically separated myself from my from everywhere I knew as a child, I was able to say, like, why wouldn't why not me? Mm -hmm. Like honestly, why not if mm -hmm. I if I want it, why not at least try? And yeah. If I can, if I fail, I fucking fail. Yeah. Maybe I'll get a job in an editing house or like do yeah. commercials or whatever. Yeah, it's such a great story. Um, I want to know what was in the letter that you wrote. That was like kind of a really brilliant thing to do. I mean, I think it's honestly what a friend of mine told me was that's probably what got me in mm -hmm. because it showed the, the president that I was like, by the way, don't do that because it almost never works in. No, no, it has to come from you. Like the way yeah. that you did it was very like unselfconscious un and and, and sincere. I, I'm sure. You know, first you, I wrote a very angry draft that ended with me withdrawing my application for oh, the school, and okay. then I said, "Well, that's not productive because I don't." <laughs> no, but it's good that you wrote it. Yeah, I wrote it, and I and said, "You got it out." And then I said, "Let's do a re like re top to bottom rewrite, page one rewrite, as they say," and then um, <clears throat> and then uh, I just said like look, this is my background. This is who I am. I really want to go to your school. This is the paperwork that's holding everything up. I'm getting it settled, but I don't know when. And this is my problem with this office that I'm dealing with. And that's all. I just laid it all out, and I said, I really want to go to your school. It's important to me. It's, I mean, you know, and it's like. You got hurt. I got, you said, I want to get heard. I got heard. And you got heard. And that's like half the, that's what, that's like such a, you figured out a way to get heard that no one else. Well, also it's like, look, if you have a problem, you don't fuck around. Like, you know, everybody is called a Karen when they're like, I want to speak to yeah. your manager. But it's like, if the person at the register is saying no, and you know that it's supposed to be a yes, 
then why would you waste an hour arguing with the person who's saying no when you just go right up the ladder to someone who understands that the answer is yes? Right, and you also put out a very rational, I'm sure, and like um, uh, a letter that showed that it was going to matter and that you were going to take it seriously. You know the that you, Doctor Lisa, is I. I'm all about results. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not about sitting around and saying like I could I could have done this if the world had been fair to me. Right, right, right. I certainly have stewed in my self pity like that before. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? But also, I don't have much time for other people doing it. Yeah. Because as much as I will do that, I also am just like, okay, well, then fucking, then what's next? You yeah. know what? And if this career isn't working out for me, I have to pivot. No, I, I've, I, I, I think this is so awesome. So what do you want to, like, what's, what are you thinking now? I mean, you're going to get your degree. You, you, I mean, you've got great next steps, right? I don't have any next steps. Well, you're going to school. Going to school and then letting go of the results. And then whatever happens, happens. You don't have any ex- no expectations in well, particular this time. One of the, well, I have hopes, but one of the things that I had to really internalize when I moved to L.A. is I put one foot in front of the other and trust there's a path under my feet. That's great. You know, part of, the, part of this program of recovery that I talked about is there's a... There's a step where you say, I have done all the work that I can do, and now I turn over the results to my higher power. And when I was eight, Lisa, it took me years. Mm. It took me years to really kind of get it. Mm-hmm. I'm not even talking about do it. I'm just talking about get it. Internalize it. Internalize it, but understand it. Mm-hmm. And understand that I don't have to control everything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when I moved to L.A., and I, you know, and I really struggle with it still, but when I moved to L.A., I really just had to really, really learn that, like, if someone doesn't book me for their show, who I thought was a friend of mine, then that's not on me. I did the, I emailed yeah. them, and if they didn't respond, then that's, you know, their fucking issue, not mine. Right, right. This is so awesome. That's, that's an inspiring it's an inspiring story. Well, right? it'll be inspiring when I'm successful. Right now, no, I'm, but you are successful I'm on the right road. now. Own it. Okay. Own it. You achieved a huge thing. You know, Lisa, it'll be inspiring when I'm rich and and, and famous. Not and, famous. I don't want that oh, anymore. No, rich. Well, like when we're all hanging out at your swimming pool. I don't think I. I don't no, think, no I don't swimming pool. No, no, not for you. No, you're not going to invite me. Too no, bad. No. I will crash. No, you you no, you'll be invited to my swimming pool. It probably won't be in L.A. though. Oh, really? Where do you think of L.A. Be? Real estate's too where, crazy. Where now. where are you going to live? You know, that's a very good question. And, uh, anyway, you know what? I got I really do have to interrupt because we have to get going. Okay. Um, we have thirty seconds, and I want to uh, remind people that they're listening to Doctor Lisa on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm here every Thursday, two to three. Check us out, RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. What's your What's your website, Liam? Go ahead. It's quick. Hey, hey, it's and that's got all my socials. Dr. Lisa gets shit.